Welcome to the Eat, Slay, Live podcast. And we are the Loxicutioners. We want to be eating lightning and talking thunder and raining threes right in your ear hole today. Ooh. You like that one, Ross? <laughs> you do like that? I like it. <laughs> Is that the international sign for draining a three? Yes. I didn't know that. Three ball, baby. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> What's up, man? Once again, podcation. Podcation. <laughs> we, we are off podcations, though. Everybody we? needs a vacation every once in a while. You got to relieve stress. We seem, we seem to need a lot of <laughs> don't we? <laughs> Right? What's wrong with that, man? Mental health. Is that what it is? Big thing, big thing these days. Yeah, but our, our loyal listeners. What about our loyal listeners? Uh, well, they get a vacation from you, I guess. Well, we are back. <laughs> I was supposed to be the clapping one, so still <laughs> learning. Still, what have you been up to? What's been going on? Pavilion's getting ready to start. I see that. Yeah, got uh, yesterday got my official blueprints in from an engineer draw, you know, the engineer drawing one stamped, all that mm-hmm. fun stuff you had to do. Um, got those. So I, I think end of uh, last week of June, I think we'll start that. So probably lead into at least a week or two into July. So bad thing about it is, you know, we got a late start. We're trying to do it in April. Got some, got some roadblocks put in front of us, but I think we're all good now. Um, we we're going to start in April. So we didn't have to be closed down the patio at all. Once it was done, we opened it for the summer, but now mm-hmm. we're probably be closed for at least a week on it. Well, Ross, you're the type of guy, people put roadblocks. You just knock them. Knock them. Yeah. <laughs> you just <laughs> shit plow, out of my way. You just plow right through. Don't you? <laughs> try to brother. Try to. Yeah. Okay. What about you? What have you been up to? Uh, nothing. I, I see that pits coming along. Yes. Yes. Fence you see coming it? up. I have fence posts. I now have fence <laughs> posts. There's no there's no fence around it, but I now have fence posts. So it's a good start. The rain, it's dude, it's it's the rain has just been backing my guy up and yeah. you know, can't get to it. And it's been crazy rain lately. It really somebody told me it's rained every Wednesday since like March. <laughs> Someone told me that. If that's true, that's impressive. Well, I think it has. Uh but yeah, that's been messing up. But so I'm guessing next week there'll be a fence around the Thunder Pit, which really gonna get things rolling outside. So. How will how will you go about that? Well, are you gonna run classes out there? I, I you think gonna, you know what? what I think I'm gonna do like a Friday night Fight Club thing. That's what I'm gonna call it out there, and just like kind of a sign up thing. It's only I'm only gonna it's gonna be smaller groups, fifteen twenty. Do a like do it uh, Friday nights. So that'll be kind of like a yard thing. Charge for that as well. Kind of yeah, kind of. It'll bring a cooler beer for afterwards oh. and just yeah, I think it'll be a good time. And then eventually, you know, like I've talked about, put that obstacle course out there. Yeah, I've been kind of buying. Saw, up. saw you got your first. Uh, First little thing of equipment out there. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call that? What do you call that? Wood? Well, let me tell you it what looks, that is. It reminds me of an army commercial. Well, let me tell you what that is. So somebody gave me one of those, you know, that axe throwing, which is was all the rage for a while, one of those yeah. targets. So somebody gave me a axe throwing target. It was really sturdy. And then when they were doing the workout here on that ditch that they're filling in, uh, they had these giant pallets, not, not like your normal pallets. These are big, like, I don't know, eight feet long and like sturdy and, and made really well. And so I talked him into giving me like 10 of them. So I leaned, <laughs> I put that axe throwing uh, target standing straight up and then I leaned two pallets against it. And now it's a climbing wall. <laughs> as easy as that. Safe. It's very safe, <laughs> very Ross. Safe. It's very OSHA approved. It's, it's very safe. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I'm tired of talking to you already. So, Understand. are you excited about our guest? Yep. Well, that, ma- that makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I'm just excited to rip on him the whole time, I think. You know? Yeah. So, you'll do, you'll do this, it. It was all your idea to have him on, it, not this, mine. It was. You, you like, yeah. So, anyway, I know you, how much you look up to him and things like that. <laughs> Slow down a little bit. <laughs> well, this, this guy is businessman, uh, former. 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 Uh, 
elite head basketball coach, wouldn't you call him that? Uh, he's in a uh, he's in that top tier of coaches yeah. in the area. For yeah. Sure. So, but he's former. So we're gonna get to we're gonna get to the bottom of this why he's former. Okay. You know, and Find out what talk happened. about his business success and all that. So, we'd like to welcome to the show Steve Medford. Crowd goes crazy, Steve Medford. <laughs> well, hey guys, thanks for having me. I had to get mentally prepared for Todd this morning, so <laughs> uh, hope you got your coffee in. Hope you got your eight hours of sleep <laughs> because a beatdown's coming your way. More like chin down, hands up, Steve Medford. <laughs> More like four hours of sleep and anxiety setting in. So. Well, oh wow! I, I consider I consider me and Steve, you know, very good friends, Ross. Do you know? Uh, and it's it won't be long. We'll be have been a year in the Thunderdome. First time he's been here. First time he he's dro- been he here. drove by Wednesday. It was probably <laughs> he ra- dro- it was probably so, raining. So okay, we get out. And, and people have heard me tell stories about anytime I'm outside working out out here, someone drives by and I'm like, "You suck, locks, and I'll kick your ass." Lock. Every dude, this is every day. If I don't get three to five people saying that I didn't, I'm like, then I didn't work out long enough. So I don't know what day. I think it was Wednesday or something like that. I'm out there doing something. Somebody drives by and some like I think it was like a Geo Tracker or Suzuki <laughs> Samurai sidekick. One I don't know what something one of those. Uh, probably just a you fancy. You know our man Medford's not rolling Fa- around. Uh, fancy. Tracker, I'm sorry. Man. Fancy Jeep. Probably an automatic. And it's somebody <laughs> and I know who it was. Somebody drives by and goes, "Hey, locks you skinny ass bitch." <laughs> I just kind of wave and go about my go about my business. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I had no idea it was you. I'd have chased that car down. <laughs> I tried to pull in, but you know he immediately jetted right into That's the gymnasium. So. What true. were you down here driving around Thunderdome for on a Wednesday? I had a golf match yesterday on Wednesday afternoon. Oh, Belt Park. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then where were you going from there? Pump, the pump. He, So he goes to the pump house. Doesn't come by. <laughs> <laughs> I've got multiple pitchers that I've been here. Or, or, or shoot me, you got multiple pitchers at the freaking pump house, drinking <laughs> them probably. I, I mean, you think he could send a text, hey, you want to come on over? I'm over here. You know, Probably didn't want me with around his buddies, no, his executive that. buddies, his colleagues, Ross. No, yeah, he didn't I, want the I janitor of the Thunderdome. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Steve Medford. We're, we're happy to have you, brother. Thanks, buddy. So this is all about your life, all right? All about your life. Um, so just tell us a little bit, start from the beginning, where you grew up. I grew up in, um, good old Jerseyville, Illinois. Jerseyville. And, um, you know, my entire family's there. You know, they, my dad ran, you know, Medford Oil Company and multiple gas stations. And, you know, at a very young age, you know, I, I was involved in sports and, you know, it's just kind of, uh, I would say, the family business has always been around for a long time, and mm-hmm. Eldon and Greg got involved in that. And those, yeah. are, your, those are your older brothers. Yeah, they got involved brothers. with your dad. Yeah, they got involved stations. with that gas station. And, mm-hmm. You know, at a pretty young age, I kind of knew that. Look, I started mowing yards when I was probably thirteen years old. Kind of so, came a business. So, how does that start? Like, your dad lends you the mower, or how's that? Or did your dad tell you get out and start mowing grass, or how's that start? You know, the very first yard I had, we had an older lady next to our house, mm-hmm. and I, I got one yard, and then. Did a pretty good job on that. Got to two, and I'm 13 years old. Um, I ended up getting to about 15 yards, and then I got to about 30 yards before I even had my license. Before you had your driver's yeah. license, yeah. And um, got really involved with that at a very young age, and and as kind of started seeing the business side of things, I kept thinking to myself, look, um, I can go out mow yards two days a week, and I got buddies that are working after school every single day, mm-hmm. and. Um, 
not making half the money, money we were making mowing yards. And so I think I had a business mind at a really young age. Um, I think a lot of that came from my dad. Yeah. And um, Correct you know, me if I'm wrong. You went away to college, kept your business going, and just had employees. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, he always ahead of the game. Yeah, <laughs> or at least ahead of us. <laughs> you know, we had all the equipment, and I just had a thought process like, look, what, what is a normal kid getting paid per an hour? And it was like maybe back then $7 an hour. So mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if I give him all my equipment, it's a $30 yard, and I know that yard only is going to take me 45 minutes, if I give him $10, mm-hmm. you know, we're still going to make $20 on that yard. Yeah, he's got our equipment, but at the same token is – uh, that kid can still make more than what he's going to be making around the area. So, yeah, I did. I kept it for a while. kind of wish I would have kept that thing going a little bit. <laughs> How long did you keep it going? I kept all the way through college and even actually till my first year of starting with Edward Jones. And then I gave that up to David Mortensen. Remember David Mortensen? Yep. You know, and did you sell it? I did not. I did not. I was. Uh, Don't feel disappointed. <laughs> you get, it's, it, hey, it's okay. You, you it's know, all right to give it away. <laughs> did you really give cool. away all the equipment? No, I did not. But I mean, you sold the equipment to him, or he well, just you just gave him his yards, and he had his own equipment. Let's talk about equipment. I had a snapper, <laughs> like you know, Forrest Gump snapper. Yeah. <laughs> then I would have the weed eater that went through the top of it, and then I would carry the mower and I would drive to a lot of my spots around. So um, it wasn't nothing special. I, I gotcha. Here's a question for you because I, I mowed I mowed some lawns when I was a kid not not quite the, you mowed the neighbor's yard no, could not four quite miles the, down the road not quite the elaborate setup you had do you mow your own grass now I do you do oh, and I hate it dude I I listen it, I didn't make a lot of I wasn't like this kid back in the day that had oh my twenty year plan my ten year whatever blah 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 the only plan that I had as a kid is I'm not going to mow my own grass when I get older. <laughs> once I can, once I have an extra $40 a week or whatever it costs to mow my own grass, I will, I will pay someone. And I do not mow my own grass now, and I haven't for a very long time because I freaking hate it. I hated it. I would agree with you. I hate doing mine too, but I can't give $120 a week <laughs> to my yard. <laughs> You're just too cheap not to pay someone to do it. But you got three boys, so... You have a big yard. I do. You got three boys, so one of them better better hop on that oh, mower. In a couple more years. I've already oh. got him on the mower without uh. the blade going, <laughs> learning how to drive that sucker. So hopefully by the end of the summer, we're good to go on that. Um, so... Uh, so you had a pretty good uh, – now, what sports did you play in high school? Obviously, we'll, we'll touch on your basketball career. Did you play other sports besides – Yeah, basketball. I played basketball and golf. And then my freshman year, I actually played baseball. Um, and I actually was on the varsity at, at one point like, mm-hmm. as a freshman baseball player. But I had to give that up because of the yards. Oh, really? And then, you know, wanting to kind of focus on basketball and golf at that time. Mm-hmm. So um, – but, you know, those, that's what I played. And, you know, I think – when I was in eighth grade, I was really committed to trying to become a college basketball player. Um, and I think part of it, it's probably a pro and a con that I have this chip on my shoulder because I was probably told, you're too little. You can't mm-hmm. do it. You know, And so always had that mentality that, like, look, I'm going to try to prove these guys wrong. I'm going to prove that I can do it. And you know, I was probably in seventh and eighth grade, and people were telling me I probably couldn't play high school basketball. I was too small. Um, now, now, how tall were you in eighth grade? Oh, I was only about 5'2". Mm-hmm. I only grew about another four inches. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, um, you know, I wasn't very tall. and But, you know, I, I knew that, look, hey, if I just work at this game and, and get better at it. And I had that chip on my shoulder, and I wanted to play college basketball. And so, you know, I spent a lot of hours, you know, in the driveway. I spent a lot of hours, you know, on a on a field working, you know, with strength shoes and, and, and the weights and trying to get quicker. I mean, I did this, and I tell this story a lot. You know, I tell it to a lot of my kids at the, at the high school. Um, you know, I got up every morning at 530 my junior and senior year all the way until we played our first game and i would do strength shoes on monday wednesday and friday and i'd go now are those the shoes with the with the (laughs) the big the like elevated front of them Uh, hey yeah today what do you think about those shoes did they help because i i I put a lot of hours in those shoes (laughs) myself a couple (laughs) i will say a couple things about them one if you think they helped they helped Mm -hmm. okay that's that's part of it i i mean did it hurt you no i mean it's kind of a like a calf sort of thing, mm-hmm. sort of almost like calf raises to me. I, I, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But it also does put you in a good running position if you're running in them because you should be, you know, leaning forward and it mm-hmm. forces you to do that instead of being back on your heels. So there's some benefit to it, yeah. I like that. If if, if you think it helps, it helps. Yeah, that's... Mm-hmm. The mind that, is so powerful. And that that's, you know... Get on subject, but that's what I say. Like with like strength and conditioning and lifting and any type of thing that someone does on the side, if if you think it helps, do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Same way with take like us taking supplements. Like True. I don't know if this creatine does crap, but you know what? I feel like it does, so I keep taking it. Right. Yep. So you're up at five thirty every morning, junior senior year. He just pulled. He just pulled the workings in work, on me, didn't he? Working weights, shooting. Yes. What, what all goes involved in that? Is that five days yeah, a week? I was doing that three days a week, and then I'd get up at six, and then I'd go shoot. And I did that consistently, you know. And we and I did it every single morning. And um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday was the strength shoes. And it increased my speed and increased my um, jumping ability. I know that for a fact. You know, I was grabbing the rim at that time. And um, so I had a nice senior year. And then, then that led me to, uh, you know, I, at that point, Illinois College was really interested in me. Uh, my senior year, I think I faced that box and one just like you did, 13 of 26 games. and um, 13 you know, of 26 games, yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> he knows, I knew, he knows, I knew he knows how many games. And for, for our listeners that don't know what a box and one is, it means that the, the other team, they play zone with four guys, and they just have one guy playing man, their, their best defensive player on the, uh, the star player. Medford has definitely re- rewatched all his games. <laughs> 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 it's a miserable situation miserable. you know miserable situation i can remember watching ross and them doing that to them and i would be so mad mm-hmm. it's like stop it <laughs> what do you mean come on you know it's just, it is and it's not just one player it's but they always converge on you no yeah. matter what you know yeah so that, that's frustrating right it's really frustrating and then you know so that was and my goal is play college basketball and i think illinois college was really one that showed first interest in me. Mm-hmm. and um at that time i had a uh, a girl that you know katie mortensen I, I dated her in high school and her the mortensen girls you know they went big i mean they were st louis u was in our gymnasium but Lindenwood university is who katie fell in love with and um she had gotten a full ride there and she was accepting that offer and her dad was over there and they got a new coach and he had mentioned to Lindenwood, hey you know what let's uh go take a look at this guy and so i i got to work out with him twice mm-hmm. and um you know, both times I worked out, I did really well, and, and he ended up offering a scholarship to me, and this is just right before I met your brother. Um, I'm at the Prairie State Games, and Ty comes up to me and, and, and <laughs> backs me on social. He's like, hey, you, you're going to go to Linwood. You want a room together? And, boy, did I 
think that was the biggest mistake. <laughs> now you were how you five six then yep. in college? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Medford's schoolwork just doubled <laughs> by accepting that offer. I've got a great story on that. We got to hit on that. Let's hear it. Tell, tell, now this, uh, is, this is about our brother. This Ty. is probably about Ty. Yeah. So, Ty, we have I think two classes to, together, and the religion class is what I remember the most. <laughs> you know, we would be in religion class, and every time there was an exam, he would just be. Now he'd almost prep me before we went into the classroom. Now, Medford, just I'm going to move my desk over just slightly to the right. You move yours slightly to the left and make sure your left shoulder goes down and your pencil is out. And you move your hand. I thought I thought Medford was going to say he was going to like prep him before class on on the lesson. No, no, no lesson. No, like he's going to be like, all right. Who was this person in the Bible or something like that? Nope, nope. <laughs> Who is this? It's about positioning. I, you know, I made this joke about Ty. It's funny we're talking about because I just made this joke over the weekend. And, and for everybody listening, this is just a joke. I said Ty's education probably cost him double because he had to pay the college, <laughs> plus he had to pay people to do his work. <laughs> But he's got uh, his master's, so who are we to... It, <laughs> is there anybody that you guys know that is more efficient <laughs> at finding ways than, than To Ty get Locks? things done. Yes. No. He, he's very good at this. He's very... We'll call it resourceful. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, he made it through college. He did. Which is amazing. He has his master's. He has... Which is even more amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably going to be calling him Dr. Ty soon. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, college. Pretty good college career. Four years, right? Four, you went there four years? Yep, I did. I went there all four years. Um, I'll tell you a little story I thought was pretty interesting. Did you start all four years? Did I did. I started wow. all four I years. I thought I remember going to watch yep. Ty and you were starting. Um, it was my freshman year. There was a guy named Ronnell Williams. Ronnell was a first-team All-American. And um, I had made the varsity, but I was really going to be fourth string. I mean, I, And I knew I was going to have to work my way up. There's two Jucos and then Ronnell. Ronnell gets caught doing something he shouldn't be doing in school. And gets expelled from the school. Copying from you? Not, <laughs> not as sly as Ty. Ty. This is where Ty is so resourceful, guys. And all of a sudden, you know, the second and third guys, I end up working my way up and end up, end up getting start. My about my eighth game of my freshman year started mm-hmm. most of the time, and and uh, you know the second year, Coach Ribble brought in two more new JUCOs, and it was just constantly recruiting over me, mm-hmm. and. Um, that's where that little bit of fu comes in you, and um, I just beat them out. And then my junior year, same situation, two more guys come in, and um, you know it, it. Mentally, it wore on me a little bit, um, but it probably, I think, in a lot of ways, made me who I was. I really believe that. And so, um, you know, I, we got to play. Coach Ribble is now the head basketball coach at Westminster High School. And so after Marquette and I, during the summer, we played against each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And um, I beat his ass. You <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be telling the story if you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> but he brought everybody together, and he tells the story. He's like, I want to tell you guys, your coach, I recruited over him every year. Every year. And I knew it. And it was just, it was one of those things, but it was just that perseverance. You know, I, mm-hmm. and I, I grinded and mentally kept my mind in it. And um, I, I still think, 
that hands down has helped me with my business more than anything. You know, he yeah, bringing those guys in. If if he wouldn't have brought somebody in, you might have got comfortable. Maybe not, not a guy like you, but but you know, he could have just gotten comfortable and not tried to get better. But you know, he comes in, and you know, every it's you got to be hungry every single day. People, you know, the wolves are knocking on your door trying to take your spot. You know, as and real quick, as a coach now, do you do you blame him? Because I mean, if you're not if not trying to recruit over your players, I mean, are you really are you really doing your job? Exactly right. You know, Plus I mean, he, you're trying to get better. Yeah. Plus, he's like, I got a five six kid from Jersey, <laughs> Illinois, starting on my college team. I this no, this is not right. I got to get. There's got to be somebody else in here. Spot on, right there. <laughs> spot on. That's spot on. The eye test wasn't wasn't right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't blame him. He was failing the eye test, but he's beating out these freaking players. I keep bringing in. Could you imagine Medford, which is probably so relentless? Just and those dudes are like, dude, it's practice, man. It's practice. No, Just it's not. Calm, calm down, bud. This isn't the seventh game of the NBA World Championship. Just calm down, bud. Get off me. We're all just trying to... He's up in there uh, fucking grill. On their grill the whole all time. Oh, he goes into practice. Just, he's talked about it multiple times now. Chip on his shoulder. He goes into practice every day like every, that. You know he Right. Does. Fighting for his life every time. And I was like, come, hey, man, I'm a little bit hungover today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got a half an hour of sleep last night. Come on, man. Take it easy. I'm ever just <laughs> up in them. Fuck you. <laughs> Biting their ankles. <laughs> Lee Bennett sent me a text message. He goes, is that Medford or Deladova playing on, on the Cavs? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So you graduate in four years. Yep. And any other schooling after that? No, I didn't. I went right to Edward Jones at that time. Okay. Did you get hired your senior year, or was there like a little time span there where you weren't employed by somebody? No. Between my junior and senior year, I did an internship with Edward Jones. Um Really beneficial. It was. What was your major in college? I'm sure. Finance. Finance. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to be with a research analyst, which was really interesting. So I went to a home office, got to be around the research analyst. Now it's as quiet as it can possibly be, but these are the guys that are kind of analyzing companies. And so, you know, I knew at a really young age when I was about 13, you know, I, that's what I wanted to do because I would take my mowing money. And, and this is one thing I, I would love to teach, you know, people today is a lot of people will give their kids something and my dad had the means to give me something and you know what he would do is if I wanted the new truck I would have to raise the money at least half of it and then I I didn't realize until later on in life that he would take my five that I had to put up for the truck and then he would all right he would let me invest that money and then bought the truck so I had to put it up you know so it was a way to teach me how to be responsible and so um you know, that, that was a great life lesson that he gave me, and, and um, yeah. He made you realize w- the value of a dollar v- very early in life. Very early, yeah. And, um, you know, I think I was probably 14 years old when I went up to the first financial advisor, and I invested in a couple stocks. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that story. Yeah, and that's how I fell in love with it, because I started to look at the stock and watch the stock, and you got to see that compounding growth over a period of time, and so... You know, I started that real young with my 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 eleven year old now, which is our ten year old ten year old Caden. You know, um, next month is going to be the first month I'm going to bring him into my office just to share kind of how this works. Mm-hmm. And so, at uh, what point did you know that this is what you wanted to do? I was pretty hooked right around fifteen years old. Once I, you know, the money being invested, I was hooked. You know, and I, I, I got in college, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was like, I'm going to be a financial advisor. And I, I knew that the, the, 
the job was kind of a limitless thing where look I could um I could build up my 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 business um there's no limits I can keep building it if I wanted to and so that's what I liked about it and just like you guys have your own businesses you know that's that's something um I'm really proud of and what we build at Ever Jones two things that I really like about knowing Medford and already really knowing this story I don't like anything about knowing it, but <laughs> go ahead one, starting so early with this lawn mowing business. Yeah. You know, I, I, the whole 10 years owning that, still owning it through school, you know, and what he talked about, how he paid in his employee, he still made money. The second thing, so now you get your job, and he begins it, lives at his parents' house for how many years? Three years. Three years. And tell the story when you first start and how you, wh- where, <clears throat> how you begin to get clients and all that. Yep. So this is um, the old philosophy at Edward Jones was – I started with nothing. So zero assets, zero clients, throw you out there, right? And um, so I had a plan of like how I was going to attack. Um, I got this city directory, which was awesome. And the city directory <laughs> would show me where, what, what street and their occupation, right? So I literally went and door knocked every single door in Brighton. I started in Brighton first. Started in Brighton, huh? Started in Brighton first. <laughs> farmer, 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 <laughs> farmer, farmer. And the reason I wanted to start there was because I didn't want people, you know, I didn't want to knock on a door and I didn't know, I, I didn't want to know them at first, right? And so, um, Seems I, like a good place. You, you start working on your mm-hmm, craft yep. and start getting some clients before you move to, you know, where you really want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, now you can say, hey, I have clients. I have clients, mm-hmm. and you're better at your craft. Yep, and I stayed real organized with this little book, and I'd highlight the street, the person I, I contacted, and started to build, build a little business. And what I would do is I would just kindly introduce myself, and then about two weeks later, I'd follow up with a phone call with them. Now, um, you go to the door. Let's, let's, let's just talk about your process. We're going to suit yep. and tie? Suit and tie. Yeah. And so you're— I didn't have the Book of Mormon. So, so you're like 23 at this time, and so, and, and you looked a lot younger, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so you come, just knock on the door, and you, you, do you say their name like, "Hey, Mr. Mr. Johnson"? No, you just like mm-hmm. you didn't know him. Yep, I would just um, really what I did. It was one of the first things <laughs> I would do is just kind of stand back, and I would just say, "Hey, I'm just here to kindly introduce myself. I'm getting ready to start an office here in Jerseyville, Illinois," and um, really just kind of told them a little bit about what I did, and then. The last thing I would always say from them to them would be, you know, from time to time, if I ran across a good investment idea, I'll be sure to let you know about it. And most people would nod their head, and then I'd put my head down, and I would just ask for their phone number, mm-hmm. and most of them would give it to me. Then I would go back to my office. I wrote every single person a handwritten note. Nice, nice. And then um, it would be about two weeks later that I would follow up with that person, and my first thing would be, you know, the last time I met you, I told you if I ran across something, I'd be in touch with you. And then I would just kind of kindly put something out there right for them. And then it was just really to spark interest to kind of build this thing up. And so got a funny story, a really good story. I had this uh, this old man, um, which is really interesting because what I've really found out in this process was people who you think had a lot of money didn't. Right. And the people that you thought, no way, I'm gonna knock on that door, had a lot of money. I think you find like, like you just see that a lot. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what I'm saying? Like a lot in life. You do. You know what I'm saying a lot of people living above their means. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I went to this door, little t- tiny house, like it was probably Todd's size house, pink shutters, 
I have pink shutters. Well, there you go. <laughs> Guy comes out, got suspenders on, and he just kind of looks at me like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of chased me off, really. And I call him later, two weeks later, and he's like, uh, it was a tax-free municipal bond, and he's like, I want to buy 25000 And then he calls back to the office, like, I'll buy another 25000 <laughs> And then two years later, he transferred his account to me, and it was over $2 million. Wow. wow. <laughs> Is he still a client today? Yes, he's still a client today. A quick question before I forget. How many clients from Brighton do you have today? Don't know the exact number, but I got probably, I would say, $30 million in assets probably from Brighton, oh, at least. Dang. Pretty good chunk of change. So, so do you, you talk to that guy, like, talk to that guy still or whatever? Mm-hmm. And he's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's huh. an older guy. How many years ago, how many years ago was that? Uh, 21 years ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a great story. Yes. So the next town you go to would be? I did a little bit of the outskirts of Godfrey, and then I started right in on Jerseyville. And again, same process. Same process. Just knocking on the yep. door. Knocking on the door. Were you, were you received pretty well at these places? Do you know? like Every once in a while, yes. Every once in a while, I got the door slammed on my face. I had dogs barking at me. I've mm. had dogs chase me down. I got bit on my ankle a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, I knew, like, hey, um, I'm going to put my name out there. And I'm going to work really, really hard for this. And I won't look back and say I didn't. And that's one thing I always try to tell my kids. Like, just don't look back and say, what if? Mm-hmm. What if I would have put 100% towards that? What would have happened? So I was going to go through that whole process and say, hey, look, I'm going to go at this. And I'm not going to look back. What if? If, if? if I fail at this, it's not because I didn't try. You'll never regret working hard. Exactly right. And I feel like if you can go up to someone's door and be selling like that, you can do anything. You, you know can, what I'm saying? You can sell. It's limitless power or, you know, whatever you want to say, strategy, technique, whatever. It's Selling is limitless. Right. The ability to communicate. You know, there's a quote, and I, I may have shared this with you. Warren Buffett had a great quote. And he said, talking about if you want to be 80% worth more than what you are today is learn how to communicate. He said, we all have great brain power, but the ability to transmit it is what a lot of people don't don't have. And he, yeah. and he has a line in there that says, you can have all the brain power in the world, but it's kind of like winking at a girl in the dark if you don't know how to transmit it. And I think that's true, right? Very so true. communication, if there's one thing I would tell young kids, is learn how to communicate. Yeah. If you can communicate in this world, you're going to be... You're going to be very well off. And that's what I try to tell people that are trainers. You know what I'm saying? It's like if you you can have all the knowledge you want about training and the body and fitness and health, but if you can't, like, communicate to your to your uh, your clients and things like that, you're not going to do well, you know? And no. you've got to think that's one of Todd's greatest abilities is not just his ability to communicate, but his method of communication in his line of work. Well, my major was speech communication. Well, right. You were, you were the, uh, the, the announcer e- for women's soccer. Eastern Illinois women's volleyball. Now for your lady Panthers. <laughs> <laughs> but gets old. You, you're exactly right. I mean, look what he's built here. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. I'd say Todd's, that's his biggest factor is, is how he communicates with people. And look what he's built. Um, so then 
what do we start? How do we get our own business then? How, how does that? So wh- where are you working? Do you have an off when you're going door to door? Do you have like an office you're working? Are you working out of like the St. Louis office at Edward Jones? At this time, I had a, um, I had an office. There was a guy named Paul Harden that was an Edward Jones rep. Um, for six months, I didn't have anything. I was working out of basically. Parents' basement? Yeah. <laughs> and I made my phone calls from there. And yeah. then, um, then Paul offered up, allowing me to utilize his second office. And then after about a year and a half, after I got approved, I got to get my own office. Yeah. So you, you got to get approved because you're, you're signing clients up and you're hitting some marks or mm-hmm. things yep. like that. So your first office, is that right across the street from the gas station? Is that your first yep. one? Yep. That was my first one. Um, and, you know, starting from n- to where we were then to think to where we're at now. Um, yeah, have you been in this motherfucker's office now? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the Taj Mahal of offices. You walk in there and you're like, I'm investing with this motherfucker. <laughs> this guy's he knows what he's doing. <laughs> you know what? That's a, You guys just bring up a really good point, though. But there's a, there's a method to that. You know, mm-hmm. like, you get a referral... And the very first time that referral comes to your office, that's their when they open the door, that's their first experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I used to do this on Saturday mornings. This was back in my old office. And I always tell the girls, like, look, we get referred Saturday morning. I'm going to come in. I'm going to open the door. I've got a million bucks. And I'm going to look at this. And I think my first impression is, would I invest here? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think th- there was something to that. And, and now I've been told, like by a lot of Edward Jones reps, like, man, you've got the nicest office. And I said, well, look, we've got clients now in 27 different states. Uh, we've got clients all over. But that is one of the biggest things we want to do is like, hey, we want to create, you know, a, a, a client experience, but also that they felt comfortable. And when they were referred there, they were like, OK, I know I'm in the right spot. I think a lot of people lose that in, in business. It's the same as my business to your business. It's that first experience. When someone first opens my door into the brick house, they walk in, whoa. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's the atmosphere right off the bat. You might you might you might not like your fries at our place, but you've already walked into the door and you're happy because you this experience right off the bat. And I think it's the same way a gym mm-hmm. and Todd's nailed it. The first time you walk in there like you did today, you weren't even three steps. And you're like, this place is fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, you walk in. I'm like, I'm ready to work out here. It gives you that atmosphere. It gives you that feeling, that energy. And a lot of people, I think, lose that. You walk in. You're like, man, you clean this up real quick and change the atmosphere. And, you know, things would roll a little better. It's really like, you know, we talk about communication, but also just coming in and seeing a place. is That's, that's really the first impression, you know. You're exactly right. I mean, you guys are both spot on. I mean, I, that was the first thing when I went to your place. When I opened up those doors, I was like, wow, this is freaking cool. Yeah. It know? has the, the brick house has such a cool atmosphere. That's what I love about mm-hmm. it. You know, it just, yeah, I, I don't know. Brought on a new server the other day. Last night was her second day. She's an experienced server. She, she served all through college and now she has a main job and she got back into the industry because she just wanted to make some side money. And yesterday, I had barely talked to her the first day training, but then yesterday I got to talk to her a little bit. And like the first thing she says to me yesterday, she goes, the atmosphere here is unbelievable. She's like, I, di- I didn't know coming to, you know, I was, she's like, I was always in Edwardsville, didn't, was unsure about coming to Bethalto. She's like, I walked into that ma- that new interest, the, the new part right off the bat. She's like, I love it here. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, even your employees to your customers, you know, it's, 
and, and not to give you too many hand jobs here today, but like you, you talked about like, like we like when you're talking about tables and just like you're you're very big on on sort of the looks and the feel and ha- like yeah. having those big tall top long tables so people can gather yeah. together. Do you know what I'm saying? But oh, anyway, but back to Medford. So so <laughs> hey, from from door knocking in Brighton to 27 states. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to 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 see where we've come. Um, and and you know to the I think in our firm we've got. 20,000 advisors, and this is just, uh, it's been crazy to say, hey, look, we're in the top 200 of our firm for the production and, and the overall assets of, of what we got in that office. So, so. they have 20,000 different, like, affiliates, like mm-hmm. little offices mm-hmm. like yours. I don't say little, but, and so when you're in, out of those 20,000, you're in the top 200. Mm-hmm. In Jersey, are some people, do you think there's some people, like, that are really, like, big, say, say someone who's, like, in New York, and they're like top thousand or top five hundred, and they look through this thing and they see Jerseyville, or Illinois. And they they look and they they Google it like, what what is this guy doing up there? Is he just turning corn into money? What's going on? <laughs> it's funny at the at the conferences we go to. It's the managed partners conference is, is a top four hundred in the firm, and, and a lot of those guys there, you know, it's Texas, the oil field. Yeah, uh, there's some guys that and. When the pipeline went really big in North Dakota, some of those guys got some of the CEOs and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, our um, that little tiny Jerseyville, Illinois. Y- you, know? you should just come to one of those like convince or whatever you want to call it and just wear an overall sometime. <laughs> just come in, just dressed, just dressed the part of Medford Oil, uh, Medford Gas Station freaking hat on and overalls. <laughs> Chewing on a straw and smoking a corn cob. You know it? <laughs> I might get fired. That'd be funny. <laughs> and the first like big wig guy you see, hand him a 20, time to go get you a drink. <laughs> see how that goes down. <laughs> so, na- so now what have, so we've covered we've covered that part now what have you done outside of of your normal day-to-day job to make because i'm always interested how do you make your money work for you now and make more money so let's go back here so ever jones allows you to you're based off a profit and loss statement so what means your your profit your profit and loss so you don't really technically have to rent a place, right? It's based on your profitability of your office. So, so much revenue comes in. Da, da, da. Well, at a young age, I was like, wait a second. Why wouldn't I buy my own building? Because they're going to pay the rent. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And then they were paying a really nice rent on this place. And then all of a sudden it was paid off. And then, you know, downtown Jerseyville, these old buildings were just awful shape. Yeah. And so I just started taking advantage of buying some of those suckers. And I end up getting to a point where, you know, I've got six of those old buildings and I've rehabbed them and um, got, got a couple really nice lofts. And I think the city really, really likes us because we've done them the right way. We didn't shortcut any of it. And it's improving downtown Jerseyville. And Absolutely. so and we've joked about Jerseyville, but it's really like a, a it's kind of a up and coming uh, town. I love city. Jerseyville. You know what I'm saying? It's you know, they have a lot of nice restaurants and bars and stuff there now. And it, it really is. Um my buddy the other day he said to me, he goes, when you're doing all that, I I thought either either you're a genius or you're lucky. And I said, well, I think I was really lucky because I was doing this at the time when there was nothing downtown. But I just kept thinking to myself, look, if there's one apartment on top and somebody lives in that. It's almost going to cash flow the entire place. Isn't there a saying like the more you prepare, the luckier you get, <laughs> which really isn't really luck. But you know what? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Absolutely. So all of, all your buildings downtown are they have lofts upstairs 
mm-hmm. apartments, mm-hmm. and then downstairs, a commercial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of them got two or three commercial spots on them. They've done um, extremely well. And now that d- downtown Jersey, we've got a lot of boutiques going in, in Jersey. Mm-hmm. You know, boutiques and bars and stuff like that. And so, you know, we've got a few people going in those. And, and Melinda's done a really good job of managing all that. So that's my wife, and she does a, a great job of getting the renters in there. And she's a bulldog. <laughs> outside of that, where where have you grown to? Grown to? I mean, you, I mean, you have other other rentals outside of just Main Street, right? Yeah, you know, I I did those, and then I did one other house, and then, you know, um, Lake of the Ozarks, we've got a place there, but I, I did that with my father, and then recently, you know, I did a place in Winter Park, Colorado, um, up in the mountains, and I've just always had a theory look, um, even though the prices were pretty high. The thought process is, look, there's only so much ocean oceanfront property, and there's only so so much mountainside property. Mm-hmm. And so, just like farmers, I mean, farmland, if you look at farmland over a 10-year period, what's it do? It goes up, right? Because there's only so much farmland. So, um, that was something I, I did. I thought, you know, hey, this is something with, with rates being really, really low. It's an opportunity to get in there and have something in the mountains, but it's also something that 10, 15 years from now with your family and... Um, I think it's just going to be an awesome place to to go to. Will, will you rent that out like Airbnb when you're not there and stuff? Yes, and I did a lot of work on that to figure out, hey, w- what's that going to look like? And you know, those those properties, pretty up in the mountains, they almost completely cash flow itself. So it's not much out of pocket. Yeah, we, we I won't say his name. We have a buddy that who 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 built a little almost like a tiny house up there and like just to weren't gonna wasn't going to rent it out and now has and basically pays for itself. Exactly. Overpays for himself, yeah, actually. Making money now. Yeah. yeah. So, awesome. And Colorado's kind of been the place to, to migrate to mm-hmm. now, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, let's kind of get into your into your coaching career because you, you've been okay-ish at that. Um, so what got you into coaching? I think at, at a really young age, um, I knew once I was in high school, I, was, I wanted to coach. I, I, that was something I, I love to do. All right. Slight interruption there, but so back to it. So, how did you get into coaching? How did you get involved? Well, I've always been in love with the game of basketball. Um, from day one, I've always been in love with it. Uh, when I got out of college, I think that was one of my main goals. That's one of the reasons why I took the job with Edward Jones. I always felt like it was about time and building a business. So, I felt like if I could build a really good business, then I'd have some time to be able to coach. And I was 22 years old, I was at a um, summer regional. And a guy named Fess Shaughnessy with Ever Jones, general partner. I tell him I love basketball. He falls. He's like, man, I love basketball, too. He goes, I'm going to get you out to California to the American Fund Seminar, and I'm going to let you meet John Wooden. <laughs> and I'm 22. like, 22. And I'm like, oh, awesome. So there's only 22 advisors that get to go to it. It's usually not. A 22-year-old kid that has no assets, no nothing, yeah. right? But Fess got me on that. And um, there's 22 people in there. John Wooden's probably 80-some years old at that time. He sits down in there, and we get to ask questions. And just, I thought that was really cool. What'd you ask? <laughs> Out of all of his accomplishments, what was the thing that you feel, you know, was your greatest accomplishment? And he started talking. He started ripping off players that we didn't even know. Mm-hmm. The kids that became doctors, lawyers, that we didn't know. Like, not wasn't Bill Walton's, wasn't the great ones, right. you know, those type of guys. And he's really talked about that. And so, you know, I think at a, a really um, 
early age, I, I knew I wanted to coach because it was just a passion I had. And so, um, you know, I got under Lee Bennett. Um, I think I've told this story a thousand times, you was, know. Was Lee before LC? Lewis Clark was with, yeah, that was Lewis. first, first. And then I went to Lee. And um, I remember Lee coming to me after being at Lewis Clark for two years. And, and I kept turning him down because I was like, look, I, I just don't know if I have the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you, you get under a coach like Dale Ribble whose dad won six state titles at Nebraska, who played under Charlie Spoonauer, who knows a lot about the game. And then you go to Coach Stotler, who had some success and straight up MO. Now, he was a bulldog, He's right? He a bulldog, Stotler. right, yeah. And then I get under Lee Bennett, and I'm there my first year. And I'm just like, what? Like, I'll say I, it for you. I don't know shit. Yep. <laughs> Lee's kind of a legend, right? Yes. And especially at that time, he was young, but still just an, an Super exceptional smart. coach. Yes. It was just, um, you know, you think you know a lot about the game of basketball at, as a 22, 23-year-old kid, and then I just realized I didn't know anything. And um, I just can't the, – the, the amount of preparation that he would do and put into a game um, and his attention to detail was something I, I, I've never experienced. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I, I we would be in a game against Mike Waldo, and he would have me literally. I, the only thing I did during the games as an assistant coach would I would have a notepad, and I would have to sketch. So he would just make me sketch, and I think this helped my coaching out a lot because I'd start to anticipate what was going to happen. But I would have to sketch every play. Anytime Mike Waldo would put two thumbs or thumbs up or da da da, I would have to write out the play. Oh, that's tough! <laughs> wow, right there watching the game, you had to try to. Mm-hmm. So, are you just staring at Waldo the whole time? <laughs> like my, my chair would literally be facing. <laughs> I wouldn't watch. I wouldn't get to watch the game. Yeah, he would just literally. That was one of his things. He wanted me to watch the coach, get the calls, and be like, "Let's just say it was two thumbs up, and here comes Will Triggs at an ISO, an ISO for a drive and a kick to the corner." So two thumbs up. And then I would have it written down. We'd go in at halftime and anything that I would say. Real quick, do you think that he got that from his father? The the steal on the plays and the hand signal things? I think or part think? I think Lee Bennett is because I'll go back to it because his father was legendary coach in Pittsfield. And anytime I played Pittsfield, I had to change all my fucking signals. <laughs> <laughs> Was I he still say, coaching there when you no, were coaching? But, no, okay. No, but they were past player down, was guys, and yeah. things like that. I would say part of that, I think the thing about Lee Bennett is I think Lee Bennett learned a lot from Lee Bennett. Mm-hmm. And I mean that, like, he was a guy that would watch so much film and then tweak something, then tweak something, and then just try to find a better way. Yeah. And um, so, you know, you would have these things, and at halftime I'd be like, thumbs up. He's oh, yeah, da, 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 we went over that, right? But what was nice about it is it was always about the second and third time. You know, next game they come into, thumbs up goes up, and we're, we're calling his set before it's happening. <laughs> and my, this was kind of – it became a grudge match, those two. Oh, I, I with can imagine. Waldo and um, Lee Bennett. And it was a, a lot of fun. Um, but, I, I shoot, I remember a regional championship game, and I thought, what are you doing? And we had a two-hour and 15-minute walkthrough before a game. And I'm like – you're wearing you're, – you're, this is unbelievable. But that's just how he was. That's just, he wanted to cover – there was no stone unturned mm-hmm. with him. 
you did you take a lot of that from him? Is that I the did. number one thing you think you took away from him preparation? Without question. You know, just trying to you know, I, I say this a thousand times. How can you expect your kids to give you one hundred percent when you're not giving one hundred percent? So as a coach, I thought, hey, look, I'm gonna go into this, I'm gonna prepare my kids like nobody's business. I'm gonna be put a ton of my effort into it and you know what, in return I'll get their effort. And that's why I think what we built the most at Marco. So then Lee leaves Alton. Do you stay there? His brother takes over Lane. Do you stay there under Lane? I don't remember. I did. I stayed under Lane for three years. That's when we had Ruben Cotto for one year. Um, that was unbelievable. And then uh, about the third year, you know, I, th- I thought I was ready. And so the job came open at Market. Really, I didn't even know about Market too much. I didn't know much about the program. I didn't know. I just thought, heck, it's in Alton. It's close enough to where I can become a head coach. Where I can recruit all of Alton's <laughs> players. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that first year I take that job and, and – uh, yeah, there was a couple of kids, obviously, the Dites and Dion's and those guys that were eighth graders, you know, that kind of followed us over there at that first year. And uh, we've been, no doubt about it, Marquette, we've been very blessed with a lot of good players, but a lot of kids that, that really bought into the culture, too. Oh, it seems, yeah, it seems like, I don't know, but from the outside and scouting, you, it seems like most of them, if not all of them did. I mean, if it was either buy-in or <laughs> you weren't involved. Right. And um, I think that's the, the thing you had to do. You know, you set a president in your in your practice. You know, it was about attitude, effort, and accountability. And mostly it was accountability to your teammates. And we, we really went at that. And we really had um, – there was a standard there. And, and it was a standard of, of like, this is how it's going to be done. And if you don't want to do it, there's the door. And I didn't care who you were. And you did have players leave. Mm-hmm. You had players leave all the time that just – weren't couldn't you know Mm -hmm. live up to those standards right i had a lot of guys leave uh, a lot of them and and some of it was i think uh you know coach medford the hard ass at first i would say my first two or three years i was a little over over the board and i got better as as i went on and i learned the relationship side of things i think that's a big thing as as a coach if i could have that back the first couple years it'd be more about building that relationship with those kids but i'll also say the other side of that is it's you, you have to set your standards way up here and your discipline and everything like that because if you don't do it at the beginning, it's too late to then start over and almost like, okay, I wasn't tough enough on them. Discipline wasn't correct in our program. Now I'm going to flip it around because it's impossible to start with lower discipline and then flip it to, a, okay, we got to get our discipline back. I mean, that's probably you set the you set the bar very high and then you can start allowing. OK, now I can be as cool as you guys allow me to be, you know, um, start building those relationships. But I think at the beginning, you got to be a hard ass because you can't be a nice guy and then turn into a hard, hard ass. It doesn't work that way. You're spot on. It's and I played played golf with Derek Starrett the other day. By the way, he's really good. Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> um, and he said, Coach, you're just not the same guy that you were the first year with us. I mean, and, and there's absolutely the truth to that. But we had rules. And so when you set rules, we would literally set four towels on the sideline. And the towels would be on the sideline. And if you got rejected on a ball screen, you weren't in a gap, you didn't box out, just something that wasn't appropriate that we had certain rules on, you would go over to the towel put your hands on it, sweep down. Go clean the floor. You clean the floor. And I would tell you this. <laughs> the last three years, I never had to tell a kid to go do it. Yeah. Now, the first three years, you had to tell everybody to go do it, right? And so there's the difference. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, when, when players on good teams, what, there's the old quote, right? Good teams, you know, coaches hold players accountable on great teams. Players hold players accountable. And I think that's what happened in the, our program in the last several years is players started holding players accountable. And, and, and that's kind of how the program got built. Um, Derek Starr, I the first two high school athletes I ever trained, and I was still down at the hit squad, and they were playing football for Nelson, was Dalton Hom and Derek Starrett. So they started training me with when I was down in Granite City. And so actually Dalton and uh, Derek, us, we worked out together Monday, this past Monday. And so I was telling Derek that we were having him having you on the podcast and if you have any funny stories or anything. He said, I don't know <laughs> when it was, but I, he was like wrestling around with you. And Derek Starrett's a big dude. What is he, six four six five? And he, he's a big, I mean, he's not a skinny dude. I mean, football was his sport. He played four years of football. And he was, he was a big dude. And he said you picked him up and body slammed, picked him up on your on your shoulder, no, suplexed him. I think he said. <laughs> he goes. He set the uh, he set the standard early. <laughs> that's that's his exact words. For first year, we're at the Missouri team camp. I remember that we're in the hallway, and he starts uh, giving a little lip, and I'm just like, I'm just gonna take him down. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said you suplexed him. <laughs> hey, that's a great thing about uh, being a coach at the private school. Yeah, suplex anybody. Yeah. <laughs> don't have to worry about getting fired as a teacher right <laughs> so success wise at market how many regionals eight regionals sectional championships one sectional championship now you shattered the the wins record right yes i think there was there was there's not many coaches that's been there more than five years really to be honest about it so mm-hmm. that was pretty if you stayed seven, eight years, you're going to shatter well, that record. Well, oh. th- also, that just says something for your, you know, about you that you were there so long. You know what I'm saying? Just like a lot not, of— Not they, only did you shatter the wins, it's probably percentage-wise, too. How many football coaches have you seen come and gone since you've been there? Quite a few. Athletic directors, yeah. everybody. It's, yeah. it's a lot of turnover. and There's a lot of pressure at Marquette being mm-hmm. a private school for wins. How, how many wins did you have? I think it was 275. Four, right? Two seventy four and eighty six, I think it was. That's what the paper had with that, and then that article. Divide it by how many years? Twelve years. Yeah, do the math, people. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna whip it out real quick. Uh, you know better than that. <laughs> I really do. Like, well, this Let is me go be get a, my phone and my this calculator. This is gonna be very impressive what Ross is getting ready to do right now. <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen. I, I, another kid that I, another kid that I, I trained a little bit. Uh, I, I reached out to him to. Give me a story about you, Sammy Green. Now he was a uh, wasn't he player of the year? Yes, player of the, the Alton or the, the whatever the player of the year. He said that uh, I think it was I don't know if you did this every year or when or every practice or at the beginning of every year, but you'd challenge anybody three point contest and they'd they'd all be warmed up and you wouldn't even warm up and you would challenge them to a three point contest and you're undefeated, never lost. <laughs> Boy. My biggest accomplishment. At <laughs> forget the wins. Forget the regional title. Never lost a three-point Do you have an estimate how many times that they took you up on it? It didn't matter. Was well, I dominated? Well, <laughs> now was this? Well, did you? Was this a beginning of every year? Or any practice or anytime they wanted to try it? Anytime they wanted. Anytime to try it. they wanted to try it. Did Sammy Green try you? Yeah. <laughs> Player of the year. He's, he's changed so much. He, he's right. relaxed now. Right. He's now, like, oh, he's like, like, I dominated. <laughs> At first, he was he was all quiet, and then now, oh, you want some time? Ross, you want some? <laughs> I even got a good one. It was just maybe six months ago. Dion Lavender come back. <laughs> so now Dion, to tell Dion. Dion is my you know D one player played professionally. 
um, went to Valpo, Carbondale, scored 53 of our 59 in one game (laughs) my senior year. I mean, he was that good. Yeah. And, you know, he's been playing, and I had Mm -hmm. him as an assistant coach this year a little bit, and... You know, him and he wants a piece of you, huh? He wants a piece of you. Him and Kendall wanted a piece. (laughs) And I tell you what, it didn't go well for him. (laughs) Still got it, Ross. Still got it. I just, what's the rules on this three point contest? Can you stay in one spot? No, it's 50 shots, um, 10 in the corner, wing, top, wing, corner. Gotcha. Everybody gets 50. How many did Dion make? I think at that time, I think he made like 35. How many did you make? 39. <laughs> Didn't even warm up, Todd. That's what I've been told. Ross, now, Ross is over here thinking about this. No, He's like, no. no, no. I know my place. Ty, would Ty challenge you? He don't want none. <laughs> the only thing Ty, the only Ty, move Ty has is, hey, Medford, come here, get the ball, and then let me cross this guy up. <laughs> that was a deceptive move. <laughs> Uh, that, that By the way, he looked good in his Jordan Nine jersey yesterday. Uh, he did. <laughs> you know, yeah, he Ty, his little his Staunton Bulldog basketball camp. He has Jersey Day. Now that's not for the kids. That's not. <laughs> let's be honest. That's not so the kids can break out their favorite jersey. That's so Ty can break out his favorite jersey. Let's be honest about that. There's a jersey warmed up. There's always a, there's a Jersey Day down at the Ozarks with Ty. There's a Jersey Day back here with Ty. I mean. <laughs> Jersey days all the time. We're going to be 78 years old going lake and having Jersey day. <laughs> Damn right we are. <laughs> uh, that's, that's funny. I tell you what, he's going to have a good team. He's done a good job with those guys. And Isaiah, that group is going to be unbelievable. There's so. there's nobody, and I say nobody, but it's, he puts in so much time and, and effort into the program and just not just his, not just his team, the high school team, but all the way down. The program. You know? As a whole, he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing to me. But here, here's a coach who, you know, and he'll he'll admit this. His biggest flaw and what he regrets when he was at Bethalto is that he didn't do it this way. Yeah. And here's a guy that you know talk about all the time. Learn from your mistakes. Here's a guy, and I don't want to say it was a mistake, but not a lot of people did it at the time. Um, have your hands on the program mm-hmm. like that, but the greats did. You know, the people that were ahead of their time. And, you know, talking to him about it, that's one of the things that he will always say that I should have done this, you know, when I was at Bethalto, built that program from the bottom up. And so, now, I mean, he's doing it the right way now, and he puts in the time. He really he, he's going to have a lot of success these next five or six years, I guarantee yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about you're the former head coach of Marquette. So uh, why'd you leave? Hey, hey, listen, listen. What? We don't want the – advantage newspaper answers all right that's not what our <laughs> listeners read they've already read that article all right you were sick of mike slaughter weren't you? Just tell <laughs> oh he left he left, he left. No. <laughs> i loved mike slaughter <laughs> what what came down to, to this decision i think probably for four or five years i've been thinking about it honestly mm-hmm. and um yeah, I know you're going to give us that you got three little kids and they're busy you want to watch them i know that's the answer you're going to give us but in the back of my head part of it was could I really do this for 23 years if I, mm-hmm. or 25 more years? Tw- basically 25 years if I really wanted to coach my, my kids, right? Yeah. And so, you know, knowing that the history at Marquette, there's only been a coach there for uh, no longer than five years, I thought maybe maybe potentially if I decided I wanted to come back, I could come back, you know? So, uh, but I, I will say this, probably for four or five years, I've always, I've kind of kept doing it because I felt like I was almost obligated to do it because of the success that we were having yeah. that I just felt like I had to keep coming back. And you get new kids in as freshmen. You're like, I don't want to quit. You feel like you're quitting on them. You yeah. get them to buy into your system, buy into your, what, the culture and everything, and then you're like, well, see you later. 
Yeah, I can I can see yeah. that. And then, you know, part of it, I think, and I hope this don't sound like real, but like you become a victim of your success. You know, you start winning and then I, 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 I just, part of me almost wanted to have a, a year where it was just a five win season where you just, you, you didn't have that. And, and, you know, you win and you didn't feel like it was enough, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I just, that was, I, I didn't like that. I felt like I was putting too much pressure on myself a little bit. Um, and, and, and then the time commitment too is it, it's amazing, especially when you do as much film work as, as the good ones do. I think you, you got to put a lot of film time in and, and people don't see that. No. People don't see like the, like what you do, like at home watching, watching film and watching other teams and going in, and, and uh, scouting other teams and things like that, that kind of time, you know, there's no money in it. <laughs> there's no, you know, people, people don't get it. The the night I think I really realized it was there was probably late in the season. It was a Tuesday night. We had a game. The next morning, um, I take my kids to school. Wednesday I have practice. Then I had to take Caden to his basketball practice, which he plays for Gateway Knights. I didn't get home till nine thirty. We had a Thursday night game, and for three straight days I didn't see really any of, any of the younger kids. You know, mm-hmm. and I thought, man, look, if you really look at your life and you were to go say, hey, look, would I regret stopping now? And spending these four or five years that you really got with your kids that are really going to like you and really you can mold them to be a better human being. Yeah. I don't think I look back on my life and regret that. Now, what I may could regret is that I kept coaching, didn't spend enough time. One of those kids becomes an a-hole. And all of a sudden, I didn't spend enough time to help develop them as, as a good human being. You look at yourself as a man and say, I failed one of my kids. Right. Yeah. And that's, at the end of the day, I thought I couldn't do that. Now, have I... Not slept well since I've done it. No, I haven't slept well. I just feel like you know I'm missing something. But I think mm-hmm. it, at the end of the day, I'll I'll get over that. Um, now, do you think Marquette's like okay? We're gonna get this coach in. We're gonna tell him our how old Joel is. Son, ten. <laughs> we're gonna get him in. Listen, listen. We're hiring you, but in five years, you're gonna be out the door. <laughs> we we got other plans. <laughs> Bring the we're bringing the team Medford back and and the boys that come with it. <laughs> I, I don't think so. You know, and and, and there's. Um, I, and I, I don't want them to do that. I hope that no. they, they have somebody that has high success there and keeps it going. And I think they will. You know, they've gotten a few good, nice applicants. So I think they'll keep that thing going. And, I, and and look, you know, he's got a great fourth grade group in Jerseyville that I'm working with. And, and Stoke does a really nice job there. So, you know, that's obviously a possibility for us with mm-hmm. the kids, too, as well. So it's just if I did decide to get back into, into coaching, if you really missed it that much and you really wanted to get back to it, that might be an opportunity. Yeah. Someone's going to let you in. Now – now I don't know if this had anything. Now, do you see kids changing these days? Have you have you seen it just sort of getting harder to coach a little bit, a little softer? A little bit, but I think a lot of kids yearn for that discipline. Mm-hmm. I really do, and so I I still haven't changed a lot of my style from that standpoint. And I I don't think you know. And there's this old saying. I don't think it's. The kids have changed. It's the parents that changed. Yeah, and we've talked about that a bunch on here. I want to go back 15 years ago, and I want to get every parent 15 years ago, and I want to punch them all in the face. <laughs> this youth sports shit uh, yeah. is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah, it is. I mean, what happened to the day where kids got in the, in the backyard? Our parents had a life. We don't. Right. We don't. We don't have a line. And you, you feel like if you're not putting your kid and having him play in all these travels, you know that then you're you're falling behind and you're not doing it right, and he's going to get left out at some point, right? Yeah. It's it's insane. I, I see how it happens. It's a vicious cycle, and you know I think we've talked about our Ross Ties talked about, it. and a lot of these like select teams and traveling, 
they don't really care about developing the player. They just care about money and, and, and getting wins. They don't care about how, you know, teach them the fundamentals. You know, do you, I've always told myself this and I'm not in that world yet. Um, you know, I got some friends are, and, and I see they had no life. I'm, I'm huge. I've always told myself, all right, if my kids play a select team, I got to pay the money. I pay the money, but I'm going to be real with them. I'm going to tell them if I think it's too much. I mean, you may not have my kid for this weekend. And if you don't want us on that team for that reason, so be it. I'm a strong believer. I think that I could probably take my kids and I could work on them an hour a day. Just us doing skills and blah, blah, blah. And they're going to be a better player than the kid that goes and plays 10 10 games in three days you you learn you learn game situations in that but unless you have a really good coach explaining you those situations you really don't learn a whole lot of it and you're not what okay you go play 10 games in three days how many shots are you really getting up how many dribbles are you really getting I mean the what it's I don't understand it in, in development-wise. And, and I know I, I know for a fact, working with my kid for an hour every day instead of sending them to Indianapolis to play 10 games, they would get better in that weekend in my garage or in my driveway. I agree. Feel the same way? 100%. I said that I had this argument with somebody <laughs> last year. I said, we're talking about baseball. And, you know, we sp- we're out there two and a half hours. And the ki- my kid's in right field. It's no balls hit to him. And he goes up to bat twice. <laughs> what did he get out of that? Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what if I just stayed at home, threw him pitches two or three nights a week, threw him a bunch of pitches, let him hit? You know, now I get it that they're okay, a pitch coming in, there's some nerves, right? right. There's that 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 factor. My buddies are out there. I get that, you know, but I'm with you hundred percent. Um and I think you gotta put him in certain situations a little bit, but it's just it's too much. Yeah. Way too much. In basketball, the biggest thing is probably competing against some other kids for the speed of the game because it keeps changing at every level. Mm-hmm. So I think that you see a lot more injuries now and I blame it on that. Just play, you, I don't think play too much. I don't think a kid is made to play basketball year round that cutting the, the up and down on hardwood floors all the, all the time. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that's where a lot of injuries, even in baseball, they're throwing too much or they're throwing game like situations instead of going out and playing catch you know, all day they're strength out there. The yeah, strengthening the arm. They go out there and just throwing as hard as they can every single time. And I think that's where a lot of these injuries are coming to kids. I, I never was injured. You know what I'm saying? I didn't even know kids back in my day that were really injured. There was kids that faked injuries, but they, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like, it just the big injury bug wasn't back then. And it's because you don't play basketball, you know, all year round. There's never a break. Baseball, you know, kids will go, they'll have basketball practice and then they'll go play a baseball game and then they'll go like, it never ends. It's it's insanity to me, and I see how it happens. I'm not a parent, and I'm sure a parent listening to this right now is like, "Well, judge me on it." But I, I see how it happens. But man, yeah, I don't I'm not think judging it's, anybody, right? I mean, it's just the it's the the culture we're in right now. Um, I just I, I kind of disagree with it a, a little bit, and and wish there was a different way. I don't I don't know if there is or or, or we can switch to that. But and it all comes want, down to, <laughs> I want the kids to have a life. Too, you know, outside of sports, there's a lot more to learn than just sports. Completely agree. It's the FOMO, right? Right, fear of missing out. I yeah. think that's what parents are. It's just, look, if if Johnny's over here doing it and and my kid's not, is he getting ahead? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so let's talk, let's, let's move back to the financial realm just a little bit. So we're in crazy times right now. Mm -hmm. So what, where do you see this economy going right now with the recession, with the recession and well, there's a guy that sits in Paducah, Kentucky, and he's an old grizzly vet and he'll call me up and he always says this to me. He's like, Medford, I got nine words for you. Downturns are normal. Upturns follow downturns. Upturns last longer. And I think what people, you know, the media will go bonkers at times, and sometimes they'll go totally bonkers when, what, we got runaway inflation, rising interest rates, war in Ukraine, oil prices out of control, got a lot of things wrong, right? But here's a stat, and everybody here at home can write, get a pen and paper out right now, and they can write three numbers down, and the three numbers are 10, 7, and 25. 10, 7, 25. All right. And if you go back to the turn of the century, which is 2000, right, we have had 10 downturns of 10% or more. Okay, 10 of them. This is now the 11th downturn. The 7 represents 211 days or 7 months. So that's, that's the average length of a downturn. Okay. Okay, so just 211 days. Mm -hmm. And 25 represents the depth in which the market has went down. So some have been more, some have been less. But, you know, what I think people will make out is that these markets will go down and then they'll never come back, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think you, if you go back to 1972 and you go say like 1972, we've had, what, 40 times that with markets went down over 10%. And in 1972, the Dow Jones Industrial Average finally hit a major milestone. And you guys know what it was? It was 1,000 points. Today, we sit at, what, 33,000 points? Okay, so downturns in the market, we're always going to get them, right? And I always use this analogy. There's a guy named Warren Buffett. We all know Warren. And he said when he was a young man, he bought three companies. He said, I bought Colgate, I bought McDonald's, and I bought Coca-Cola. He said, I never worried. Every morning I'd wake up, I never worried about the price of Colgate <laughs> because I was going to grab my toothpaste and I was going to brush my teeth. And what is he, 94 years old? And he says, 94 years old, I still go to McDonald's, grab my cup of coffee and my McMuffin. <laughs> and then when I need a quick pick-me-up in the afternoon, I have my can of Coca-Cola. And so just because stock prices go down doesn't mean that McDonald's is going to stop selling hamburgers, Coca-Cola is going to stop selling Cokes, and Apple's going to stop selling their services, right? So use these opportunities. I would say as an investor, there's two things that you want to think about. One is your emergency cash. You always want to have enough emergency cash to, let's say, for instance, a, a meteor came flying through this roof right here at th the Thunderdome, and Todd comes up and says, calls his insurance agent and says, hey, you know what, um, got this meteor. He goes, well, we don't cover meteors. You're out 15, it's going to cost you $15,000. Todd's got enough money from his emergency cash for, to pay for that $15,000 out of his emergency cash. I think a lot of times when the market goes down, people think, well, my investments are going to be used for that short-term need. It's not. You know, it's a longer-term thing. And then the, the, the second thing I would say is, look, um, use these downturns to take advantage of them, right? Because if history tells us anything, that these are you're, you're getting to buy things at a huge discount. Explain it to my wife like this. Melinda, what's your favorite store to go into? Um, Nike Outlet. Okay, if Nike Outlet had 30% off in the store, would you be happy? <laughs> yes. Why is it when we had the market go down that we had, want nothing to do with it? 
We want to buy when we're up here when our buddies are talking to us about <laughs> Bitcoin. They're they're talking to us about Robinhood, Bitcoin, and all their stuff. We want to buy it way here, but when it's way down here, we want nothing to do with it. it makes no sense to me. Yeah. So there's your answer. I, I feel like he's the thing about Medford when we talk about this stuff is I feel like he's not selling me. I feel like this is what he truly believes to his core. You know, should buy now. You know, he believes in the stuff. He's not trying to get you to call him and and invest money with him. This is what he believes. This is how he lives. Yeah. I like those answers. That was good. Ten seven twenty five, right? That's right. Look at that. Didn't need to write it down. <laughs> Smart guy. Um, it, what would you tell? What would you tell? What advice would you give a young kid? And, and just trying to to make his way to just maybe start a business or just in life in general. Do you have any good advice? Yeah, I think uh, in this society right now is just you know um, I think we hit on that a little earlier is having the ability to communicate and work hard and know that there's going to be obstacles and be relentless about pursuing your goal. You know, I think a lot of times we aren't that last part. We're never really relentless about pursuing a goal. Right. And so if you're, if you got your mindset on it and you are relentless and you're going to attack and you're going to go out every single day, that would be my, my biggest thing to, to the younger kids is that don't let somebody deter you or get you off track. Just be relentless and pursue it. Yeah. And I think, like I think you said relentless and I, I'm, I say it all in, you know, too many people like eh, just sort of, just sort of one foot in one foot out, always have an escape route. But I think, I think that's, that's perfect is just being all in and just, you know, not being half in half out going for it, you know, and being relentless and pursuing that. I'm going to turn the tables on you a little bit. <clears throat> 22 years old, you go out, meet John Wooden. Um, you ask him of all his accomplishments, which one, which one stand out to him? I'm going to say that back to you. What's your answer? Uh, the text messages. Oh, God, you're going to make me cry right now. But the text <laughs> message I got when I, re- when I resigned was just, that was spot on. The relationships that you built with mm-hmm. the players. Yeah. Yep. No one sees. Yeah. Absolutely. Hmm. That is, that's awesome. Uh, it's better than the awards, right? It, and that's what it really comes down to is just the relationships. And in lives, you've changed so many lives. Do you know what I'm saying? People don't realize as a coach, like, what you do and what you've done, you know, and mm-hmm. the late night text. And, you know, you deal, you've dealt with a lot of kids who don't have the best home lives. Yep. You know what I'm saying? You become like a surrogate father to them, you know. And just like even just a few players I reached out to you, just like, you know what I'm saying? They, they, they love you, you know. Yeah, yeah Sammy's <laughs> Sammy's one of my, my main guys. I, I love Sammy Green. And yeah. You know, Derek, I mean, God. Derek was a football player. He's a first. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because the, the relationship that we had was just a. He wasn't good at the no, time. No, <laughs> it wasn't. And, you know, him and I are golfing together now. And, yeah. and uh, I just. I <laughs> need to get his ass in shape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Got anything else we need to cover? We could we could do this all oh, day. We could do this for a we while. Just, but. Yes, I I really did. It's a great story. I, I mean, I've heard his story before, but it was fun just like being able to ask whatever we wanted. Yeah. you know what I'm saying. That's that's a, the, the things that stand out to me and and his life. I mean, beyond the coaching, because a huge influence on me as a coach, me as a player. Um, <clears throat> but him starting at 13 years old, starting his own lawn mowing business. What you, what you learn from that at that age, and then keeping it for 10 years is is invaluable you know that's that's such a huge step in his direction to success 
learning all that stuff, the, the failures and, and all that at such an early age. That always has stood out to me. And then second, when he gets that job, he has absolutely nothing. And how he built up his business going door to door, because there's not a lot of people that would do that. They might think they're above that. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to get this fancy office downtown Jerseyville and people are just going to start coming to me. It's not how it works. And you know what? And here's the thing. And that's what people see. A lot of people see now. Oh, Steve Medford, you got this fancy office, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, a lot of money. They don't see him knocking on doors in Brighton. I'll I'll tell you know, you tell a person, you say you want what he has. Go knock on some. I want you to go knock on 100 doors in Brighton and and sell your (laughs) services. Go try that. You want it? Go do that. And while knocking on these doors, for three years he stayed at his parents' house. Yeah, you know that's could he, you know you go rent a you rent an apartment or a house or try to buy one. And I mean that's that your money is going out. The, I'm sure the amount of money that you save just doing that, you know, it's it's hard to do. But we say you find those ways to save money at whatever cost. Right. And to knock on the doors, stay at your parents' house for three years when you've been gone for four. Those are, those are two. Very difficult things to do. This right. dude fucking knocked him out of the park. <laughs> yeah, and people don't like we've said it before. People just don't see, don't see that kind of where the where it started. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yep. You know. So, um, that's all I got, man. I I appreciate you coming in today. I know you're a busy guy. Everything going on. Uh, congratulations, all the success. You know, coaching and business wise, man. Yeah, and Keep I feel like one up. one thing we didn't touch on a lot of like he's won so many awards and things uh, like that yeah. with Edward Jones and trips and things like that. I know he doesn't want to brag about him, and but uh, I mean the success he's had and everything he's done is just it's astonishing, and that's that's why we wanted to have him in here. Yep. Well, guys, the last thing I would say to this is this is um I, I really appreciate you guys having me, but you know to condemn to to put you guys on on, on here too is. There's an old saying about human osmosis, right? You know, people you hang around, you become. And so, looking at you guys and what you guys have built too, I mean, we all kind of hung out as a you know as a whole core, and I think we're all having some success. So, you know, show me your circle of friends, I'll show you what you become. And so, spot on, love it. This has been the Eat Slay Live podcast, and we are the Locksecutioner. Slay on, brother. Slay on.